Matthew chapter 24. Again, thank you to everyone that has uh, that is here this morning. After a very cold week, as the saying goes, many are cold and few are frozen. And that's what happened last week, so we're glad that you're here. We are looking at verses 4 today through 13. So let's read together. It says, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. In April of 2020, LifeWay conducted a, a survey concerning the end times with over a thousand pastors. Almost nine in ten pastors see at least some current events matching those that Jesus said would occur shortly before he returns to earth. They see those signs now according to this end time studies. And in fact, it says that while Christians prepare to celebrate Jesus' resurrection, since they did this at Easter time, many pastors believe they see signs his return may be close, said Scott McConnell, the director of this survey at LifeWay Research. He said this, these sentiments were expressed in January before the prospect of a global pandemic became known. And at least three and four pastors agree that Jesus was referring to current events here in 2020, including the rise of false prophets and false teachings. 83% believe that. Love of many believers growing cold, 81%. Traditional morals becoming less accepted. Wars and national conflicts, earthquakes and other natural disasters. And people abandoning their faith. McConnell went on to say the current global pandemic will create interest among churchgoers and non-religious people about what the Bible says about plagues and disasters and the end times. The urgencies of pastors feel is less about stockpiling toilet paper and more about helping people be ready for Christ's return. Now, dear folks, please let me suggest to you, and I will suggest to you today that the very same things that these pastors are saying, this has got us concerned and that the end times are close at hand, the very same things happened in the time of Jesus and the apostles. They happened at that time as well. And so this morning, I want to go through this. I've got a lot to cover, and I'm going to try to finish by at least three today and uh, get this down. So we're going to look at this today exactly, and I'm going to give you a lot of quotes from history. 
Now, folks, don't be afraid of history, please. In fact, if you would get into reading Christian history and reading about the times and what had happened during the first century, the scriptures began to take on a whole new meaning. In fact, when you're doing biblical hermeneutics or the study of scripture, you must use the historical grammatical method. In other words, what was the historical context? What do the words say? And oftentimes, those who are futurists, who believe all these things are happening now, to now say that we're going to have this rapture and we're going to have this and we're going to have that happening at this point in time, forsake the time indicators. In fact, what we just read were the time indicators where Jesus is talking to the disciples and says, let no one lead who astray? People 25 years later, 2,500 years later, or he says, what? You, let you, don't let people lead you astray for many will come in my name and see to it that you are not alarmed. So we have to take those in consideration. So we're going to look at some of these things to say, well, are they talking about events today? Or are they talking, is Jesus talking about events that will occur between the time of his resurrection and the time of the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70? So we want to look at this today and see what he has to say. First of all, what's going to arise? Nothing. Did this just go out on me? There it goes, okay. It says false messiahs, verse 4 and 5, will arise. False messiahs are going to come and they are going to preach. Well, what did John say? 1 John 2.18 says, many antichrists have come. And he goes on and says, and the antichrist is here. It's there. How did we get it then 2,000 years later that the antichrist is is here upon us? In fact... We know how Lindsay in this in the interview in 1980 says, I believe that the Antichrist is alive now, during our lifetime. Well, John didn't. John said the Antichrist is now. They've come. And so, therefore, it's now. Also, when we look at it in the book of Acts, Thutis in chapter 5 was declared by Josephus as a charlatan who claimed he could part the Jordan River. If you read Christian history and you read Josephus and Tacitus and those things, you will see that they record these and it says that they led 300 people out of Jerusalem out to the Jordan River and he said, I will part this river because I am the Messiah. And guess what happened? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing whatsoever. They got, he got his feet wet and that's about it. Also, in Acts chapter 8, Simon Magus was declared a great power of God. We see these others, ones that says historians state that Jerome quotes Simon Magus as saying, I am the word of God. I am the comforter. I am the almighty. I am all there is of God. Now, if you read that story, folks, you need to understand this is that Simon Magus actually became a believer and Peter had to rebuke him because you remember when Peter and John were doing the signs and great wonders and people were filled, they laid the hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost, he said, would you please let me have that same power? I will pay you for that power. And Peter rebuked him and said, boy, you better, you better repent of your sins. And Simon says, oh, pray for me that those things won't come upon me. Because he had become a believer and followed after Christ. But he was one of these false messiahs for a while. Simon also claimed to be the son of God and the creator of angels until he got saved. So 
There was another one called Docetheus. He's a Samaritan. That he was the lawgiver that Moses had prophesied about. He was the guy. And when you get over into the New Testament, Paul, Peter, and Jude speak about false teachers, liars, those who lead people astray, clouds without water, people that are devoid of the Spirit. So what did Jesus say? Again in verse 4, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. Did they come in his time? Yes, they did. They did. But he also talked about wars and rumors of wars. That's one of the things that we have to understand. But he says, do not be frightened. Now, if someone came to you and said, hey, guys, we're about to have some war, would you be frightened? Jesus says, don't be frightened. You don't need to. Why would they be frightened at this? Well, many years before in 17 BC, Augustus Caesar instituted a thing called Pax Romano. Now, that's not an Italian dish down at Carabas. It's basically saying this is a time of peace. And during his reign, which they said the Pax Romano lasted for over 200 years, started in 17 BC and went past into that, that uh, well into that uh, second century, he's saying this, that there will be no wars at all. And at the time Jesus was speaking this, there actually were no wars going on. But Jesus said, you're going to hear about wars and rumors of wars. Can you imagine the disciples? What? Wait a minute. We're under Pax Romana. There's no wars. There's nothing that's going to be happening at this time. However, it, the, the craziest thing that you have to understand is that the power of the Roman army was absolutely terrible. That would frighten them. But in the region, everywhere around them, instability grew. It was coming. And it's interesting that during this Pax Romano, historians will say there were just a relative few skirmishes around at the time. Well, think about these relatively few skirmishes. At Caesarea, the Jews and the Syrians fought for the control of the city. Even though they were under Roman rule, they fought each other for the control of the city. Now, here's the crazy thing about what the historians said. They said, just small skirmishes. Folks, at Alexandria, 10,000 Jews were killed. At Damascus, they saw the slaughter of 50,000 Jews during this, quote-unquote, small skirmish that they had. In AD 40, Caligula attempted to erect a shrine to himself in the temple, which caused a Jewish revolt. And they began to fight the Romans. And he had to back off of this because the skirmishes or these wars were happening all around them. And he said, well, I need to pull back, and which he did. In A.D. 54 and 68 through 68, Nero ushered in greater instability. Now, this guy was crazy. I'm going to tell you about some of these things later, but he was an absolute wild man. So when we get to read all this stuff, we begin to see that Italy was inundated with wars and strife. In two years, four emperors, Nero, Galba, Otho, Vitellus, they suffered death because these things were happening. But Jesus said this in verse 7. Notice what he says. He says, these things must come. They must happen. They're going to happen. And why? Because judgment had to be fulfilled. 
the prophets, as you read the prophets in the Old Testament, what they were saying was, these things are going to happen to this rebellious, rebellious nation. It is going to happen. So therefore, if it's going to happen, why? It's because they forsook the laws of God. And they set up idol worship and profaned the temple. How did they do that? They did it because they made man-made traditions instead of following the law. And because they rebelled against God, he says, I must punish sin. I must do this. And so judgment was coming and must be fulfilled. And there's also this. There had to be the tearing away of the old, the old covenant, so the new can emerge. You see, the Jews had set up that temple, and the temple became an idol to them because they believed if they just came to the temple, they just came to church, everything's going to be okay. And so they had this magnificent temple, as we said, it was 16 to 20 stories high, that they would point to it and said, we have the temple, so therefore we're okay. So Jesus said, I've got to tear this thing down so the new can emerge. And here's the other thing. What happened is this, these things must come, and therefore God uses whomever and whatever he wants to accomplish his purpose. This is called the providence of God. He uses whomever he wants. And who did he use? He used the Romans to take care of these things. Providence is, if you don't know, God has a plan and a purpose for a world that and governs history such that everything from the least to the greatest contributes to the achievement of that plan and purpose. He isn't merely a passive observer in history. Rather, he has designed history to achieve a particular end. He directs history so that it will surely reach that end. God was working, and God still is working. You remember Jesus, what he said in John chapter 5? He said, my father is working, and I too am working. Everything that I see the father do, I do. And so was he working? Yes. How does he work? He works through the instrument of humans to accomplish what he wants to get accomplished. That is what happened. That's what providence is. But he goes on and he says, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against uh, kingdom. And so when you look what the historian Tacitus said, I know you probably can't read it because it's so small. This is what he said. He said, I'm entering on the history of a period rich in disasters, frightful in its wars, torn by civil strife, and even in peace, full of horrors. Four emperors have perished by the sword. There are three civil wars. There were more with foreign enemies. There were disturbances in whatever it is. Gaul wavered in its allegiance. Britain was totally subdued and immediately abandoned. The tribes of the Suevi and the Samartel rose up against us. The Dracians had the glory of inflicting as well as suffering defeat. The armies of Parthia were all but set in motion by the cheat of a counterfeit Nero. Folks, this is in the time of peace, right? The Pax Romano. But what did they have? Wars, kingdoms coming up against kingdom in the first century. Well, Jesus also mentions here in these verses famines. Were there any famines in this time? 
Folks, there were famines and earthquakes in various places during this time. In fact, if we read the Bible, we're going to find out about famines. One of the famines, it says, Acts 11. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So great was that famine. If you read 1 Corinthians, he's talking in 2 Corinthians. Paul is talking to the saints and saying, concerning the collection for the saints... The saints where? The saints in Jerusalem. The famine was so great that the far away as Corinth, they were sending collections by Barnabas and Saul to take care of the people so that they would not starve to death. When do these things happen? They happened between AD 30 and AD 70. Those were great famines. In fact, Tacitus, once again, in, chapter, uh, in, in, in one of his books, says this, in AD 51, here's the conditions. He said, the year, this year witnessed many prodigies, signs and omens, including repeated earthquakes, further portents that were seen in shortage of corn, resulting in famine. It was established that there was no more than 15 days supply of food in the city of Rome. And only heaven's special favor in a mild winter pre- prevented catastrophe. Famines were happening. Also in Josephus, he tells us, he gives us the details of a famine during the siege by Titus. Folks, there's a book out there that you can get. You can even find it on the internet. And it's it's called Josephus, the life of Josephus. And you can see his wars, uh, the Jewish wars. You can find them. You can read little snippets in there. But this is one of the things that he said. Then did the famine widen in its progress and devoured the people by whole houses and families. The upper rooms were full of women and children that were dying by famine. And the lanes of the city were full of the dead bodies of the ages. The children and young men wandered about the marketplaces like shadows, all swelled with the famine and fell down dead, wheresoever their misery seized them. Folks, when you begin to read about this, one of the things that happened was that they had a group of Jewish zealots. You remember one of the zealots was called by Jesus, Simon the Zealot. The zealots were people who rebelled against the Roman authority. And they tried everything they could to overthrow that government by stealth. But they got brave and they started having wars with the Roman armies. And during the time of the siege of Jerusalem, which was, took about three and a half years, uh, took a time of them getting all the way through, down through Israel, all the way to Jerusalem, in the three and a half or four and a half months it took to take that city, the zealots literally burned up the food supply inside Jerusalem so that the people within Jerusalem would not escape, that they would give up what they were trying to do. They wanted to surrender, but the zealots said no. And if you read more of this history, you will see some of the most atrocities, great atrocities. One lady killing her infant baby that was sucking on the breast killed the baby. 
boiled the baby, ate half of it to keep from starving to death. And when the Roman soldiers came and they smelled something there, they said, give us some of this, what you're eating. And she pulled back a cloth over the body and said, they stood there like, just like stones. They were so shocked at the atrocities that were going on during this siege. In fact, it's even mentioned in the scriptures. Back in Deuteronomy, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, God gives a word to Moses and says, you will be eating your firstborn. So these are things that happened during these times. But not only this, they had earthquakes, dear folks. That earthquake, two earthquakes are mentioned in the book of, uh, of Matthew. Y'all remember, it says, at the time of the, the crucifixion, it says, Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. These are earthquakes during this time. Also, Matthew 28, you remember it. It says this, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. When you get over to the book of Acts, you begin to see there is another earthquake. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. There were earthquakes during this time. Historians go on to tell us this. That earthquakes were in Crete, in Smyrna, Miletus, Chios, Samos, Laodicea, Heropolis, Colossae, Campania, Roma, and Judea, and Pompeii. You remember Pompeii that was destroyed by the, the big volcano in your history books? You remember that? Well, just 17 years earlier, they had an earthquake that almost destroyed Pompeii in A.D. 63. In Ellicott's commentary on the whole Bible in the book of Matthew, which was produced in 1897, it says this, Perhaps no period in the world's history has ever been so marked by these convulsions as that which intervenes between the crucifixion and the destruction of Jerusalem. Amazing things that happened during that time that we think, well, because earthquakes happen around here, surely Jesus is coming back and the rapture is about to happen. Or if there's famines or if there's anything else. We spend a lot of time reading the newspapers and trying to determine the events. When, when we read this, we must keep this in context and we must keep what it says and understand it from a historical perspective so that we know. Now, there is another place, not in Matthew, but... In Luke 21, this is another part of the synoptic gospels. Mark, Matthew, and Luke all talk about the destruction of Jerusalem. And one of the things that he said was, there will be signs, where? In the heavens. Signs in the heavens. Now, understand this. To those that were in the Roman Empire, and even in that world, a sign in heaven was a warning of calamity or a changing of a political structure. 
that was just kind of ingrained in them as they were looking at the stars. And in the year of Julius Caesar's assassination, a comet appeared in the sky. So they said, oh, there's a comet. Julius Caesar was killed. This confirms to us that anytime these kind of things happen, therefore something bad is going to happen. And a comet appeared in the sky in 11 BC after the death of Marcus Agrippa, a Roman statesman. And we say, how in the world can they think about those things? That's absolutely nutty. Well, remember Matthew 2? A star in the east appeared, which caused Herod to be greatly disturbed. Why? Because these three Magi, or who, how many they showed up, it says all of Jerusalem was disturbed. And Herod said, oh, my goodness, what? What are they doing? He called me and said, we've come, we've seen his star in the east and we've come to worship the king, taking away worship from Herod. And therefore he was greatly disturbed at the news of a new king because a star had come. Jesus said, there are going to be signs in the heaven. So what happened prior to AD 70 and the destruction of Jerusalem? A comet around AD 60 during the reign of Nero happened. He feared the change of political structure. He had his mother, his two wives, and most of his family murdered as well as burned, as well as burned Rome. Folks, I was telling you, this guy is a crazy nut case. This guy was so, so obsessed with keeping power that when they saw this sign, when he saw this sign, he literally at one point got so mad at one of his wives who was eight months pregnant, he knocked her down and kicked her in the stomach until she died and the baby died. That's how evil this man was. He was a tyrant. Halley's Comet appeared in A.D. 66. An interesting thing in reading Josephus, he stated that there was a star resembling a, a sword that stood over the city and a comet that continued a whole year during the siege of Jerusalem. But Jesus goes on. He talks about we're going to have tribulation and death in verse 9. Now, folks, we're going to get to this, and this is where you're probably going to tar and feather me. Ride me out on a rail, but in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the Great Tribulation. Most of us think the Great Tribulation is coming, right? Going to be raptured, and there's going to be seven years of what? Tribulation. I'm going to show you and let you make your mind up for yourself because I believe it's already happened. And we're going to look at that in a couple of weeks. But here's the point between. 80, 30, and 70, the church went through tremendous tribulation. Peter and John were arrested. They were arrested a second time, and this time they were beaten. Stephen was stoned to death. It says there arose a great persecution in Jerusalem against, uh, against the church, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen, made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. There was persecution during this time. It says, about the time of Herod, the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, one of the disciples with a sword. 
And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. As you read through the book of Acts in chapter 14, it says the Jews came from Antioch, Iconium, having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Again, it says in Acts 16, it says when her owner saw that their hope was gone, this was Paul and them, that they confronted those that were uh, making idols and statues and those things to be worshipped. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. The crowd joined in in attacking them. The magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Folks, was there persecution during this time? Absolutely. Historian Philip Schaff said this during the reign of Nero. A vast multitude of Christians was put to death in the most shocking manner. Some were crucified. You remember Peter, the apostle? In Rome, he was crucified upside down during the reign of Nero. Some were sewed up in the skins of wild beasts and exposed to the veracity of mad dogs in the arena. The satanic tragedy reached its climax at night in the imperial gardens on the slope of the Vatican. Christian men and women covered with pitch or oil or resin nailed to posts of pine were lighted and burned as torches for the amusement of the mob. Burning alive was the ordinary punishment of incendiaries, but only the cruel ingenuity of this imperial monster under the inspiration of the devil could invent such a horrible system of illumination. This is what he did constantly. But if we move on, we understand there's tribulation. It says many will fall away. They will betray one another. They will hate one another. We see that with Paul. Paul says, you are aware that all of who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And then we read this, for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And in Galatians, he warns them, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Yes, people fell away during this time. But Jesus again mentions about false prophets. And this is what the scripture says. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves a swift destruction. Many will follow their sensuality and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. We read again in 2 Corinthians, for such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise, basically, if they describe themselves as servants of righteousness. You see, these things were happening. I keep reiterating because I want you to take hold of that. The things were happening during this time just like Jesus predicted. So what else happens? Increased lawlessness. Love will grow cold. You think about this, increased lawlessness. Behavior of believers shocked Paul. We had a son sleeping with his stepmother and still coming to church. And everybody thought it was, yeah, yeah, whatever. 
Believers were forsaking the assembling of themselves together, as Hebrews states. One person in third John, it says that he was talking wicked nonsense and refused to welcome the brothers. John, in first John, had to encourage believers to love one another because the love of many was growing cold. And you know Revelation 2, what's it say? These things I have against you because you've what? Left your first love. That's what it's talking about. Then he says this, however, the one who endures to the end will be saved. The end of what? The end of what? Jesus is speaking to them about the end of the old covenant era and the fall of Jerusalem. They would not die in Rome's war with the rebels of Jerusalem. That's what he's saying. Now, folks, I'm going to look at this now. A few slides ago, I talked to you about about why did these things need to take place. Well, I want to use that same thing and say, what is the takeaway for us today? Okay, I thought I ended the slideshow. All right. Glory to God. So I'll go on. Okay, here it is. Judgment is going to happen today. Here's the takeaway. If these things all happened between AD 30 and AD 70, and they were fulfilled in all this, what does that mean for us today? That when Jesus set up the new covenant and the blood of the covenant, and it takes us and he made us the temple of God and the church the true Israel, these things are going to continue today, as Jesus said, until he comes back again at a general resurrection to set up his earthly kingdom. Here's a point. Until that time, what is going to happen? What is going to happen in that time? Are we going to see all these different things? Yes, we'll continue. In fact, Jesus says, in this world, you will have what? Tribulation. It's going to continue even to this day. But one of the things that's going to continue even to this day is judgment. As we said, judgment because of rebellion must be fulfilled. Listen to Hebrews chapter 9. It says, For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with the blood not his own. For then he would have suffered repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as he is, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages. Now notice that's important. He's appeared once for all at the end of the ages. What age? The age of the old covenant. To put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. There is going to be judgment for those who refuse Jesus Christ as Savior. They are going to face the judgment. John 5 says this, For the Father judges no one, he's given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. 
Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Folks, if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you do not believe that he is the Savior of the world, you will face the judgment. You will face the judgment. But if you know Christ, you've passed from death to life. Exactly. So what's the second thing that's a takeaway? There is always going to be the tearing away of the old so that the new can emerge. There's always that. Jesus says this, Matthew 9, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins. And so both are preserved. Dear folks, understand this. Jesus was talking to these Pharisees. They were saying, why are, you, why, are, why are your disciples not fasting? And he's talking about the bridegroom. He says, we don't need to fast while the bridegroom is here. And one of the things he was confronting when he said this was this, your old traditions, your old things, this old religious system, we're not going to put anything new in that old thing because that old thing is going to go away. We're going to put new wine into new wineskins. And so therefore, when someone comes to Christ... Guess what's passed away? Old things, right? Any man be in Christ, he's what? A new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. And they receive newness of life. That's what Paul says in Romans, that we are buried and baptized and resurrected with Christ so that we will walk in newness of life. So therefore, what's going to happen the old is going to be taken away as people are come to know Jesus Christ. The new has come. The new covenant, and they live under that new covenant. What else is a takeaway for us just from these verses? God uses whomever and whatever he wants to accomplish his purpose. Now, I want to confront you with this. Who do you believe is regulating the affairs on earth today? Is it God or the devil? A lot of people will say, well, Satan is the prince of the power of the air, so therefore he is regulating everything on the earth. That is not true. God is still regulating everything on the earth. A.W. Pink says it this way. What does scripture say? It says, if we believe their plain and positive declarations, they affirm again and again, where is God? On his throne. The scepter's in his right hand. He's directing everything after the counsel of his own will. The scripture affirms that he not only created everything, that he is ruling and reigning over the works of his hands. They affirm that God is almighty. His will is irreversible. That he is absolutely sovereign in every realm of his vast dominions. So, there's two alternatives possible, what Pink says. He says, God must either rule or be ruled God must either sway or be swayed. God must either accomplish his own will or be thwarted by his creatures. 
accepting the fact that he is the most high God, the only potentate and king of kings, vested with perfect wisdom and illimitable power, the conclusion is irresistible. He must be God in fact as well as in name. Dear folks, here's here's the takeaway. God is on the throne and he is using whoever and whatever to accomplish his purpose. And he's doing that in your life today. And for the rest of your days, God is using people in your life and circumstances in your life to accomplish his plan and purpose for you. Are you paying attention? Are you paying attention? Those people that you meet every day on the street and at work are circumstances that happen in your life. Were they directed and ruled and reigned over by God Almighty? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you make the statement that says, you know, Satan really getting after me today, then who allowed it? God did. God did. There are people that come to you in your life that God is using to help you glorify him and live for him on a daily basis. That should make us understand this, that everything that happens to us and all the people that come into us where we think it's an irritation, it may just be God using them to rub you like sandpaper, to rub off the old stuff in your life so that that new stuff can go forward and you can grow in Christ. That is what God will do in your life. If you go and read the book of Philemon, read this thing. In the book of Philemon, he's talking, Paul is talking about how a slave by the name of Onesimus comes to him, Paul. And Paul is sending him back because while he was in prison, in house prison in Rome, Onesimus escaped from his master, because he was a slave, came to Rome and somehow, under the sovereignty and the care of God, came across Paul. And Paul witnessed to him about Jesus Christ. And he got saved. And now he's sending him back and says, Philemon, what I want you to do is this. Please, don't receive him back just as a slave. Receive him back as a Brother, and if he has any charges against him, anything that he owes, put it to my account. Now, what was the direction of God? Paul, miles and miles and miles away, and all of a sudden this slave ends up there, comes across Paul, a divine intervention. Paul witnesses to him, sends him back. Now as a missionary in that regard, to continue to further the gospel. Who directed that? God did. Who's directing things in your life right now? God is. So folks, be, pay particular attention to what God is doing. Will you have tribulation? Absolutely. Will you have trouble? Absolutely. But it's a privilege to be able to suffer for Christ. It says in the scriptures, it's a privilege And in your circumstances, start asking yourself the question, what is God doing through this circumstance and through this person? 
What is happening at that time? Why are they in my life? Is it for me to witness to them? Or is God using them to speak to me? What is it? That's what you can take away from these things. But folks, understand, the things that I'm talking to you about, I want you to consider. That you don't need to read the events of the newspaper and try to figure out when Jesus is returning. Jesus is going to come back. He is. He's going to come back. We know that for certain. But folks, do you have to be paralyzed every day? Oh, my goodness gracious. Look, there's a war over here. There's a war over there. They had an earthquake over here. Oh, God is coming back. The rapture is going to happen. And what happens is people just get paralyzed and they just keep praying, oh, Lord, come back, come back, come back, come back. And they never pay attention to what God's doing around them right now. Or they fail, we fail, I fail, to share the gospel with people, which is our calling itself. So folks, take away what you want, study what you need to study, let's think about these things, think. Next week we're going to be talking about the gospel preached to the nations. Had a young man call me, said, I'm stuck on this verse. He said, the gospel's got to be preached to all the nations, and that hasn't been preached to all the nations yet. And so, therefore, what you're saying, that this already, stuff is already fulfilled, can't be fulfilled because of that one verse. I want to show you next week it was fulfilled because of that one verse. And we'll look at the New Testament, and we'll see what's happening, and we're also going to see what God is doing in the world today. It will surprise you. It will surprise you what is happening in the world. We're not seeing it here. We're not seeing it here. But we're seeing it in other countries. It's absolutely amazing. So I pray that you come back next week and we'll look at that one verse and maybe get to the next verses. But we're going to eventually get here in the next couple of weeks, talk about the great tribulation. Future or past? Okay? Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to look into your word. Thank you, Lord, that you work in our lives still. Father, help us to see how you rule and reign over us. Lord, thank you that you're actively working and that Jesus is working in us. So, Father, I pray that we would be aware. We would be totally conscious of what you're doing in us and around us so that we may continue glorifying you and spreading your gospel to those who need Jesus Christ. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.